Good morning, everybody. Uh, We're going to jump back into the Gospel of John this morning, uh, but before we do, let's just pray together. Our Father, I thank you for uh, this morning and this time together to to come together into fellowship and to worship you and to make Jesus known to one another. And I I pray, Lord, um, in everything that we do this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us to glorify Jesus, to make him known to us, to make his great love for us known so that we would know him and by knowing him we would know the Father and that we would just um, know who we are to you or transform our hearts with that knowledge, transform our lives, transform our actions so that we'd make the real Jesus known uh, in, in all of life. I pray that over the next few minutes as you... Uh, as we go through your word, that you would speak to each one of us uh, as you see fit, that you, uh, by your Holy Spirit, would have our ears hear what you want each one of us to hear, uh, and that you would convict us, and that you would uh, invite us into your presence. We praise you and ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue in the uh, Gospel of John this morning, we're picking up in chapter 15. We're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 17. Uh, but before we jump into there, it's probably a good idea for us just to take a quick look at the, the setting change that is happening here. Like for the last few Sundays, uh, in, in the passages that we've been in just for the last few weeks, we've been sort of sitting in uh, the room with Jesus and his disciples during the Last Supper. So we've seen Jesus like wash their feet. Uh, he identified Judas as his betrayer, and then he sent him out to do what he must. We've seen Jesus foretell Peter's uh, denial. Uh, He has told the disciples that soon he won't be with them, that uh, he will be gone, and that a helper will come, that the Holy Spirit will come. And all of this, he's been telling them in order to prepare them for what's coming very soon. He's kind of said that over and over and over again. And that thing that's coming very soon is his horrific crucifixion and death. And then at the very end of chapter 14, where we were last week, Jesus says this in chapter 14, verse 31. He says, rise, let us go from here. And if you just happen to be reading through and you're reading chapter 14 on into chapter 15, uh, it can be easy to miss if there's a transition at this point in the setting, especially if you have like one of those red letter version Bibles where all of Jesus' words are in red letters because the red letters just keep going from one place to the next. Like John doesn't jump in to the narrative here. He doesn't break in and tell us that the group is moving out from the supper. But Jesus' words, rise, let us go from here, that kind of signals a setting change. And we know where they go because we know the account from the other Gospels. And even later on in the book of John, we know where they end up. But they leave for the garden. Jesus leads them out there to pray. This is the place where he will pray for the cup to be taken away from him. This is where he's going to be arrested that night. And in chapter 15, where we are today, we can tell that this is where they are by the last lessons that Jesus is leaving with his disciples and what he's talking about. He starts talking about the vine and the branches. He's using the things that are in the garden to make his point to his friends. And so, with that said, understanding where we are in the story, let's take a look at this scene uh, and and look at what Jesus says. It's John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. That's where we're going to start. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So every plant and every shrub in my yard, probably yours too, gets cut somewhat regularly. I don't really know what I'm doing. I just go out and cut all the branches. But I do know that sometimes I'm cutting away dead branches and sometimes I'm just cutting the bush back so that it can grow uh, better, so that it can have more fruitful growth, right? And in this illustration that Jesus uses, we should note that every branch gets cut, right? Either because it's dead or in order to make it more fruitful. And in Jesus' illustration, the disciples are the branches. We are the branches, As Jesus says these things, Jesus knows that he himself is about to be cut, that he will actually physically bleed. He knows that the disciples are about to go through something really hard that they really can't even understand yet. And he certainly knows that we will hurt at times as well. I think some of you may identify with a branch that has been cut. Like maybe you feel like you've been cut like in this way or that way. You may have your own suffering. You may have your own pain, whether that's physical or emotional or otherwise. And at times it can even hurt enough. Whatever way we've been cut can even hurt enough to make us question like the character of God. What kind of God would allow me to feel like this, would allow suffering in the world? And I'd get it. I'd be lying if I said that I don't ever feel that same way. But it strikes me that Jesus, who says these things to his disciples the night before his death, knowing the pain that he will soon endure, he sees the Father as a good gardener, the vine dresser, he calls him. And he knows him, and he knows that the vine dresser cuts and that he prunes for maximum life and for beauty and for fruitfulness, that even in the hurting, there is abundant life for us. And he never questions the, the character of the Father. He knows him really well. And I'm convinced that this is what we desperately need also. This is what I need. We need to truly know the vine dresser. Another thing about being the branches is they're supposed to be bearing fruit, right? Uh, verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And Jesus says further down in verse 6, that those branches that are cut away are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. We're supposed to bear fruit. 
And only the ones bearing fruit are pruned and not cut away. So there's, there's no avoiding the clippers. You're either pruned or you're cut away. But to avoid the fire, we must bear fruit. Now, we may read that and we feel like this pull or we feel this call towards being fruitful. Why? Because we want to avoid the fire, right? The branches need to be bearing fruit, right? And Jesus said fire. So for us today, we're like, well, that, he's talking about hell and I don't want to go there. That sounds bad. So, so what do we do? Maybe we get a little scared. We want to find out what the fruit actually is, and then we want to try to like add those things to our lives. Why? Because we want to avoid hell. It might be natural for us to flip over to Galatians 5, through 23 and read an explicit text from Paul that helps us to find the fruit of the Spirit, right? You probably know this. A lot of you know this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So now we've got them. And then some of us uh, will we'll try to start adding these traits to our character, right? But we all find that character traits, I mean character traits, things that are just true about us are hard to just make happen. And so we can quickly start looking for other things that will count as fruit. So we do things. We give money to the church or to missions or to some ministry or to some cause. We serve. We show up for a church service like this morning. And we can just like really almost unaware just start defining fruitfulness for ourselves or letting others tell us what to do. And in all of this, I feel like it's kind of like trying to tie uh, apples on trees, trying to create an apple orchard. But the apple tied to the end of the branch is just going to rot on the tree because nothing would be giving it life. And tying an apple to a tree doesn't make it an apple tree, does it? An apple tree produces apples. Like, it makes its own apples. It doesn't work the other way around. Like, the branches would fall off the tree if they were somehow seeking to find life from apples that were tied uh, to the end of their branch rather than from the well-watered root that's dug deep into the fertile soil. Yet, we often tend to try to make ourselves fruitful branches by doing things that we think would make us look like fruitful Christ followers. We can't survive that way. We need to know the vine dresser. And so Jesus' call to his disciples isn't to avoid cutting. This isn't like a scare tactic. One of my favorite verses, verses is 2 Timothy 1.7. God is not a spirit of fear. Jesus is not giving us a scare tactic. And Jesus isn't commissioning anybody to go make fruit happen. This is all a call to abide in him. Indeed, Jesus says that his disciples cannot bear fruit unless they abide in him. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. We say at Redemption Church that we want to make the real Jesus known, and we do want to do that. But we can't do that by putting our best foot forward and mustering something up on our own or planning the perfect outreach event or championing the right causes or presenting even the coolest worship services, I mean, which we do. But, you know, we can make some version of Jesus known by doing all of that, but not the real Jesus. You only make him known 
by abiding in him, being with him, making your home in him, finding like your whole life in him and letting him transform you and define you from the inside out. Now, I'm not saying that any of those Christian things are bad. Like the fruit that comes from following Jesus and making him known is a blessing that is beautiful and it's truly good. And imagining a world like that's relating to God rightly and to one another rightly is a wonderful vision. But too often, I think we focus on all the future stuff without acknowledging the greater reward, which is the reward of just abiding in him, the knowing Jesus and the finding our life in him by being with him. Like that's the good stuff that we tend to cut out and we miss out on either because we believe we can't trust him or because we think we need to accomplish something for him or because we're just scared of hell. But what Jesus wants the disciples to know, and I think what Jesus wants us to know, is that our life doesn't come from the fruit that we bear, but the root that we're tied into, which is Jesus. Jesus calls us to abide in him, to be with him as he is with us. Now, the English definition of that word abide, it usually simply means to like accept or to act in accordance with something, right? Like you've heard people say like to abide by the rules. I think that's certainly applicable to what Jesus is saying. He does, after all, say in John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. But I loved how Reggie pointed out last week how most of the commandments of Jesus in the book of John are things like, come to me, believe in me, follow me. See, it's not just like an abide by some rules, right? The biblical word here, abide, it it carries a little more meaning in this context. It means to remain in relationship to Jesus, to remain present with him. It's like any loving parent's hope that their kids will trust them and obey their rules, not just for rules' sake, right, but it's so that they don't end up hurting themselves or hurting somebody else. This is also how we are to abide in the Father's love, as Jesus mentioned also. We know him because we remain in relationship with him, and so we trust him and we obey him because we know that his commandments are good. It's not all about rules. It's about presence and relationship. In this scene, Jesus is walking with his disciples in the garden. And down further in the passage, 15, 12 through 17, Jesus says this to them there. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. They aren't his servants, they are his friends. They're not his servants, they are his friends. Jesus here is helping the disciples to see themselves the way that he sees them. Not as his servants, but as his friends. 
He's helping them to see that everything that he is about to do on the cross is an expression of his great love for them. If they come to know who he really is and who they are to him, then they'll abide in him. They will stay near to him. They will trust him and they'll trust his ways because they will know that they can trust him in all things. Our life doesn't come from the fruit that we bear and the things that we do, but from the root that we're tied into, which is Jesus. And Jesus in this passage is calling us to make our home in him, to make him the source of our life. You know what I mean when I say to make your home in him, right? Like wherever you make your home, it defines you. Maybe it's a city you've chosen to plant yourself in or the state that you're from. It could be a college that you went to. Like if you went to one of the big football schools or you're just a fan of the SEC football team or whatever, chances are that everybody knows that about you uh, because, you know, you wear your clothes with their emblems on it all the time and your car is the same color as the football team's cars and you fly the little flag so that we all know where you make your home, right? Or if you call Augusta home, like many of us do, you might own some master's apparel or a shirt maybe with your zip code or something about Augusta on it or you might have some James Brown things laying around the house like music, art, etc. Wherever and whatever you make your home in, it defines a lot about you. Lots of things bid us to come and to make our home in them, to identify with them, right? Music genres and bands, phone brands, computer brands, brands of all kinds really, cars, clothing, shoes, food, drinks, Yeti coolers, Stanley cups. There's also, though, maybe things that we take a little more seriously, political parties, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, or other groups bound together by some issue like race issues, LGBTQ and other gender issues, pro, pro-life, pro-choice, environmental issues. And right or wrong, we make our home in all this stuff Like we find our identity in it. We know all about it because we read all about it and we spend time with it and getting to know it and abiding in it. And it starts to define us and it starts to shape us. We let all these things, whether they're good or bad, they tell us what they care about the most and how and why like their thing is the best and the most important and how we need to let it influence every area of our life. And though most of these things will say it's fine to let everybody think freely, in the end, anybody who doesn't see things the same way is less than, and they're really an enemy. And I think this is important for us to see, because if we find our home in anything other than Jesus, eventually that thing will tell us what we are really ought to think about Jesus, and how we really should think uh, or how, we, how he really should be but isn't, and how Christians should be but aren't. And it may be that the Jesus that we end up with is smaller than our Yeti coolers, smaller than our Stanley cups, smaller than our cars and our boats and our houses and our schools or our football teams, our political parties. He might end up like maybe the equivalent of like a rabbit's foot on a keychain that you keep in your pocket, but he won't be king of anything in your life. 
He certainly won't be the one that we receive all our life from and stay near to and abide in and live our lives from. And it's sad, but even our denominations and our churches and our religious organizations, they they all have their agendas too. We all have it. They all want us to make our home in them over Jesus oftentimes. We end up using Jesus and telling us what Jesus is like and what he thinks about this and that and the other and how if we are against uh, and how if we don't believe things the way they believe them, then we are against him and probably going to hell if we don't see things their way. But Jesus hasn't first called us to go align with the right people and the right causes and the right organizations. It doesn't actually mean that none of that's important, but he hasn't first called us to align with the right people, the right causes, and the right organizations. What Jesus really calls us all to is to make our home in him, to come and to be with him and to abide in him before all these other things. And this is true of all of us, we, we tend to skip abiding and being in Christ. And I guess all I'm saying is how in the world can we make the real Jesus known if we don't really know him? Jesus, who is God and died and rose again, he doesn't need our help. He wants our presence. He wants, us, he wants to be our source He wants us to get to know him and find our home and our identity in him and him alone. For our joy. So let's just take a pause and just ask ourselves then. Like, are you caught up in trying to be and do all the things the world has told you Jesus wants you to be and do? Are you possibly tying apples to branches, trying to make an apple tree? It doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be that futile for us. Jesus invites us to abide in him, to spend time with him. We can actually get to know him in his word and through prayer and by engaging with his spirit who is in you if you're his follower. Our life doesn't come from the fruit we bear, but the root we are tied into. Are you making your home in Him and letting Him direct you? Jesus bids us to come and to abide in Him, to come and to be with Him, to know Him and to remain in relationship with Him, to get our life from Him and to make our home in Him. And that's really the only invitation that I want you to hear this morning is would you come and meet Jesus? Would you come and encounter him and get to know him instead of like guessing what God is like and what he thinks you and other thinks of you and of others and how things should and could be based on what others tell you or how your life experiences make you think he is? Would you come and meet him for who he really is? How do we come to him? How do we abide? Jesus was a rabbi, a religious teacher, and his disciples were his closest followers. They were his students. 
There's, of course, other rabbis at the, at the time, and it's a big deal to get to be a disciple of a rabbi. And so when a young Jewish man would finally get through and sort of make the cut uh, to become a disciple of a rabbi, there was a saying. It's like sort of a parting uh, blessing as you would go to follow your rabbi, and that's this. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the idea was that they would follow their rabbi so closely that they would be covered in the dust that he kicked up from the road day in and day out. And if you were covered in the dust of your rabbi like that, that meant that you were one of his closest followers, that you really got to know his ways and his teachings to the best that you could, and you were able to emulate him. This is how we abide in Jesus. We come and we see what Jesus does and what Jesus says, and we emulate his ways and obey his commands. And he said, and he did a lot of things, obviously, but Jesus taught his disciples to pray together. And he taught them the meaning of scriptures, and he ate with them, and he served them, and he showed them how to love one another, having loved them to the end, as John wrote a couple chapters ago. And so we as a church, we entered into the season of Lent this week, beginning on Ash Wednesday. And we've set this season aside to encourage each other to be with Jesus, to see him for who he really is so that we can begin to see ourselves for who we are without him and who we are in him. So we have a Bible reading plan and we have a prayer guide uh, where you can journal. Um, If that kind of helps you, some of that's available in the back. If you haven't got it and you'd like to pick it up, please do. There's these images all around the church. We've hung these up for Ash Wednesday where you could come in, and they kind of lead us into some honest uh, prayers. Um, So you can check those out. There's an explanation over there on that poster. Some of us are fasting from something for the season so that when we forgo like food or drink or maybe scrolling on our phones, we will be reminded to spend the moment with Jesus. Our MCs are gathering. Our missional communities are gathering throughout this season and pushing in on one another with the scripture and encouraging each other with the good news of Jesus. Dallas Willard says this about spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines, practices such as these things that we're doing together. That's this, that they are a place that we meet and dwell with Jesus. These practices, they can help us enter a sacred space where we encounter God and where we learn to abide and to remain in Jesus at all times by the Spirit. This is where we will be transformed into people who know Jesus and look like Jesus and do the things that Jesus does so that the real Jesus is made known to us and through us. We have all these tools at your disposal and they are for this one reason, that you'd come and abide in Him. You'd come and make your home in Him. And so I just invite each of us this morning to Set some time aside just to be with Jesus this week, but throughout this season, to come and spend time with him, to make your home in him, and let him begin to shape and define you entirely, to let him shape and define us entirely. We're going to enter into a a time of response, and it's a good time even for some reflection and prayer, and to begin to even just spend some time with him and I'll pray for us in a few minutes and we'll continue on and as we go through this time the band will come and they'll lead us in a time of worship and uh, we'll come down the middle aisle and we can take communion together where we take the bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice which of course represents the body and the blood of Jesus and this is where we remember that he died on the cross for us 
This is where we remember everything he's preparing the disciples for here is that he did what he said he was going to do. And we know that he rose again as well. And so we remind each other, we remind ourselves of the gospel when we come and do this and we proclaim it to one another. If you're a Christian, whether you're a a member at Redemption or not, we would invite you to come and remember and proclaim Christ together with us. It's also a time where you can give your offerings in the back, a time to uh, remember who God is, your provider, that he has given you everything that you need and could ever want. And you give it back to him because you trust him. Not as a rule follower, but as abiding in him. It's a moment to remember that and to reflect on that and to offer that back up in a moment of worship. So I'm going to give us a moment to pray where you are, and then I'm going to pray for us and we'll move into that time.